How many of you came here just to hear our special guest speaker this morning? Yeah, come on. Well, Rebecca Harris uh, has been a longtime member of Mount Helena Community Church, and uh, she's spoken before. Uh, she is Jason Harris, our community life pastor and elder. She is his wife, and we've invited her to share a message with us this morning. So would you welcome her onto the stage? And a standing ovation from your husband. Awesome. He's just trying to earn extra brownie points. Woo! I have a choir of angels up here behind me singing. That's what that is. Thank you, Hillary. I I paid her to say that. (laughs) Hey, we survived the storms the last few weeks. It kind of feels that way as the rain came down yesterday. But I have to tell you, I'm one of those people that absolutely loves storms. Like, I know my, I see as my mother-in-law, Anita Shirley, she'll go put her chair out on the deck. I'm the same way. If the hail starts coming, I want to hear it. I want to watch it. Because my favorite moment comes at the end of the storm. That silence. It's golden, and and maybe because I was a mom of young children and I'm a teacher, we appreciate silence, like that quiet stillness. Like the kids started to come out, Evelyn's like, Lily and my youngest is like, I want to practice my verse. I'm like, no, go inside. It's quiet. Go find someone else to read your verse to. (laughs) Great mom moment right there. But as I was like listening to this quiet piece yesterday, it took me back to a memory. This was several years ago when our children, who are now getting taller than me, when they were much younger. And it was a really quiet, still peaceful Saturday morning. You know those mornings where you're like halfway between awake, halfway between asleep, you're just laying there and soaking in the rest and praying none of your children wake up anytime soon. Just enjoying quiet. This Saturday morning was bizarre because we had no plans, which if you know my family, that doesn't happen very often, like hardly ever. Um, I told a friend of mine, I sometimes blame myself for COVID because I told a friend of mine that I would like to look at my calendar. We share an Apple calendar amongst the family because we're all doing so much. And you know you have an event because there's a dot on the day. Maybe y'all know what I'm talking about. I said, I praying for a week with no dots. And then we got shut down. I'm like, so there you go. It's my fault. I'm just going to take that on. So it was one of those mornings. I'm soaking it in. And all of a sudden it hits me as a mom. It's too quiet. Like you start getting that inkling inside like, "Mm, I know it's early still, but I've got young kids. Why is it so quiet? So just in case I'm wrong, I sneak out of bed, trying to make as little noise as possible. And this is when we're in our cute little home that was old and creaked. So I start creaking down the stairs, still not fully awake, when a smell hits me. So my first sense is the smell of there is something sugary sweet. What is that? The next sense squeezes between my toes as my toes go into what looks like a brown powdery substance. I am now fully awake. Something's happening. I don't care about the creaks anymore because now my eyes have popped open and I can see this brown powder trailing down the stairs through our living room, on the couch, over the coffee table, on into the kitchen. And I'm like, okay, I know it's chocolate because that's the smell I know, because I can tell there's that sweet with that bitter undertone. What is happening? So I follow the brown, not brick road, on into the kitchen to find the most adorable three-year-old boy covered head to toe in Nesquik powder with his monster trucks, joyful as could be, going through his man-made dirt road. 
He was so proud. I woke Jason up to see that one. No more peace. No more quiet. This memory actually made me think of another one because of that smell. You know how smells are connected to memories? Well, this memory also, I'm the child now. And I loved any time my mom would make my memos, that's my southern grandma, my memos chocolate brownies. They are so good because they're so chocolatey. And I remember watching her and really thinking I need to help taste the batter. She would not let me do this. Send out uncooked eggs and salmonella poisoning, whatever. But I really wanted to taste it. So when she wasn't watching, I quickly sunk my finger into that brown container that I thought contained very sweet chocolate powder. Also, of course, wanted to do this quickly. I sunk it in, threw my finger in my mouth, and oh, how many of you have just tasted pure cocoa powder before? Oh, that is nasty. See, I'd expected the sweet taste of chocolate to be disappointed by the bitter taste of cocoa bean. Isn't that life? Sometimes life can resemble the bitter sweetness of chocolate. Sweet moments of a new birth, of celebrations and marriage, starry nights, peace after the storm, or just pure delight like spending the day with your friends. But too much sweetness can lead to complacency and possibly um, a few issues with your teeth. But there are bitter moments of life that we can't forget. As we grow, we learn there's bitterness too, like the loss of a job, the loss of community, death, sickness. Bittersweet, though, there's good to it. It's courageous. It's gritty, right? As a child, we may yearn for sweet, but as we grow, we learn to appreciate the bittersweet, the sweetness mixed in with the bitterness. I love this quote from the author Shauna Nequist. She says it so beautifully. When life is sweet, say thank you and celebrate. When life is bitter, say thank you and grow. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for allowing me to share your word today. Let's pray that what you have to say to us about the bitter moments, Father, how you are with us in them, you are our hope and you were standing right there with us, will come through today. May we hear what you have to say, and may we grow your name. Amen. So together, let's look at the first bittersweet moment of Scripture. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. As many of you are aware, the greatest symphony of all time has played its masterpiece. The crescendo has sounded, and God what? He rests, right? He takes a moment of rest. Creation is complete. And it appears the scene has been set for pure perfection. His fingerprints are on everything. He has made it all and breathed life into it. I can see God smiling as he forms the woman Eve for the strapping young man Adam and places them together to work side by side. So these two are born in complete innocence. In the garden, they live in innocence because they don't know pain, they don't know heartache, they don't know a bug bite because sin's not a part of the scene. And yes, mosquitoes are sin, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so everything at this point, if we look at creation, God set it up to 
flourish, flourish and thrive. That's his design behind it. Now, Adam and Eve are walking over here living the perfect vegan lifestyle, I'm sure. Very plant-forward thinking. They're not having a meal plan. It's all there for them. So their hair's flowing. Their skin just, you know, shines. They've got six packs. They don't have to worry about their backs aching. It's perfect. Then Eve has to go meet a neighbor and have a conversation with a very conniving and deceiving neighbor. So now our sweet moment of celebration and peace and innocence. Well, now we're going to look at some bittersweet. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it reads, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Oh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Oh, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, well, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Mm. The moment that fruit hit her lips, bitterness arrived in creation. That pure sweetness that we talked about vanished, because a part of Eve dies at that moment. That perfect day, that vegan lifestyle, well, it just took a a dark turn because she just had division give birth within her. Innocence is gone. Hurt, loss, pain, disappointment. Well, there are now new players on the scene. The first bitter, sweet, bitter moment of history is now going to have the longest ripple effect on mankind as she eats that fruit. We all have these bitter moments in life. Moments that we carry with us, it's like a seed planted deep within. Moments that change the way that we look and perceive the world around us. It affects our homes, it affects our relationships, and it can affect our decision-making from these bitter moments. It shifts our worldview. See, the innocent and the seed eats away at innocence within us. And then it tries to envelop the hope God plants in us in the pain from that bitter moment. The pain that met us right at that moment and made us walk away changed. But it's when we allow the bitterness, when we fall asleep to the promise and the hope that God has given us, that we're not nurturing the seed planted within correctly. So let's see what God does with the seed that we saw that just got planted into Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, let's jump down to verses 14 through 15, because it's here where we see because of this eating of the fruit, Because of this bitter moment we've stepped into, enmity begins to grow between the woman, our humans, and the snake. And a great struggle begins that continues on. But they're not the only two players. It's not just the snake, and it's not just Adam and Eve, or the snake and us. See, the great gardener, he's put on his garden gloves, and he's going to get his hands dirty. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, 
Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In the middle of the bitter moment, in the midst of that soul deep pain that we have when bitterness hits, well, God has a seed. A seed that will change bitterness to sweetness. For though the bitter seed feels like a bruising to the soul or the hill, God takes the seed and he's going to crush the head of the enemy with it. When it's all said and done, remember there is a seed. And where there's a God-planted seed, there is hope, right? right. The hope is the enemy's biggest threat. The hope waters the seed planted in the woman. She may not be walking around with a bruised heel, but she's walking around with a God-planted destiny within her. Deep, sweet, planted destiny is growing, and it will begin to flourish within her, deep within her. So a seed that seemed to start out bitterly, didn't seem to have life within it, God comes in and he waters it. And guess what? It's going to grow into the greatest victory story of all time, right? So remember, in the bitter moments of life, Jesus is our hope. Well, let's follow that seed. That seed grows, it flourishes, and now the ripple effect starts to cascade through the ages, and it bursts forth in the, in, bursts forth in the book of Matthew. Behold a virgin woman, our Savior arrives. Let's go forward now to chapter Luke chapter 8. Flip with me there. We're going to move on with this story. Here we have another girl on the scene. Eve had a moment of bitterness, and we see how God made it sweet again. How about a little girl? This girl is about 12 years old who, like Eve, has lost her innocence in a different way. She's facing her deathbed. That's a very bitter seed right there. To go from a little girl spunky and full of life to be fighting for your life. But we have a savior. And he's going to show this little girl a place of flourishment again. In Luke chapter 8, we're going to read from verses 49 through 56. When Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Let's look at the father first. When Jairus first meets Jesus, his little girl is not dead. I think that's important to note. She is still living at that moment. See, we have Jairus who's been built a very bitter seed. He's not ill. 
his little girl is ill. And he has had to watch her go from this spunky, vivacious, energetic 12-year-old girl to slowly the energy going away, the hope fading from her eyes, to barely holding on. See, our hope doesn't just suddenly die, right? It's slow-fading numbness, a numbness to the healing that we need to keep pushing forward for. Maybe we're no longer pressing in. It's that hope feels like it's ebbing away inside us. And that's where we find Jairus, becoming slowly numb to the only hope that he has. Now, Jairus isn't just any man. It's not just any father in this society, right? He was the president of the synagogue. So he has rised himself into ranks high above the other fellow men. So maybe other families looking in go, oh, that's Jairus' family. Oh, they're so well-to-do. They have the best life. They only see the sweetness of life surrounding this family. But we know that is not what it is on the inside of those walls. There is some bitterness and some sorrow. So now this man, revered by many, is pocketing that pride as a Jewish synagogue leader, and he's shoving and pushing his way through men of his society, men that know him, men know where he came from and what he stands and speaks for, and he's pushing toward the only person that he has some hope in still, right? He has to let go of superiority. He had to let go, humble himself, and search for a miracle. Because both he and his daughter are searching for the same thing. They want healing, but in different ways. Jairus is pushing for healing for his daughter, but also healing for that hope that he knows is set down in there, hoping and waiting for a savior. And that hope is slowly fading away. While his daughter is desperately looking for healing for her physical body, but a healing to the purpose that is planted within her as she lays on that bed. Both seeds need to be watered by a savior with renewed hope. God gives us driven destiny, and that destiny gets planted by our Savior. So Jairus' hope keeps pushing him forward, hiding for what? For destiny, healing, and a miracle, only to be blindsided by a few words spoken by a man. Don't bother him. Your daughter is dead. There's always going to be another voice. There will always be other voices in life saying, don't bother him. You don't need that healing. You don't need that hope. You're asking too much. Who are you to expect a miracle, right? A voice that will come in and try to convince you that you don't deserve to ask anymore. There's other people who need more than you. Why are you asking for that? We can't allow that voice. We can't allow that voice to keep us from pushing through the crowd and reaching out and grabbing and asking for the miracle, asking for the healing, asking for the hope that we need. What about our dad here? I think he hears that voice, and for a moment, the fight leaves. The hope dwindles down to a spark, and the if-onlys creep in. Now, if you guys deal with the if-onlys, if only I left the house earlier. Maybe I could have beat this crowd and gone to Jesus first. If only I had come in from maybe the north side of the crowd. If only I had shoved a little harder or shouted a little louder. If only Jesus had stopped healing the other people and listened to me first. If only, if only, if only. 
But if only's only spiral us to a place where hope and destiny become very bleak, and the feel of the enemy's bruise on our heel feels like defeat. It's in those deep, bitter moments of life when we feel there's no fight left in us, and the pain that we have been dealt hits so deep that we feel numb to the purpose that we know he has planted deep within us. We have to listen to that destiny. We can't allow our dreams to go from sick to fragile to barely hanging on. We have to quiet that voice, the voices around us. They're shouting out confusion and uncertainty and the if-onlys. And that's why we have to lean in and listen to the steady, strong, living voice. Seems every year I will come down with a head cold. I'm an elementary school teacher. And so, as I say, there's little germs all the time, and I'll come down with a head cold once or twice a year. And every time, I will lose my voice with the head cold. And each year, I will head to school grumbling and telling Jason, great, it is going to be crazy today. I don't have a voice. All I have is a whisper. How am I going to get any teaching done? How are they going to hear what I need, need them to hear me say? And every year, I will come home filled with awe and amazement about the day. Because we will start the day, the children will come into the room, and like any classroom has been there, there is excitement in the air, and there's talking and chatter. And as my voice gets quieter and quieter, stillness starts to settle in the room. And slowly you'll watch the children put down the things they're doing, stop the conversation, and they'll start getting closer and closer to me. And throughout the day, I will have a pocket of children around me who are leaning in, and they're starting to learn in a brand new way. Jairus is about to have a lean-in, learning new way moment with the Savior. He's turned down the if-onlys, and he's walked a little bit closer, right? He's leaned in, and he knows he needs that breath of new life, a voice that speaks directly into the bitter seed that can calm the storm that has taken over inside and give him new life and renewal. But that voice speaks quietly. And we see in verse 50, he speaks right into Jairus' heart. In verse 50, do not be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. We serve a Savior who heals, restores, redeems, calms the crazy storms of life, shuts out the if-only, and heals our pain. I love this quote from Dr. Darius Daniels. He's a pastor down in Elevate Church. He says, the enemy can't take your worth, but he can take your awareness of it. He can't take your value, but he can take your vision. He can't take your gift, but he can take your grit. I believe we need to step out of identity crisis and say to ourselves, I am who he says I am. I am blessed, not cursed. I am not just a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror because I don't just survive. I thrive. That quote, that helps me lean into the quiet when the loud voices around me are clanging out confusion. It makes me want to lean in and hear his voice and help me get up and thrive. So please remember, to hear God's voice, sometimes we have to turn down the world's commotion and lean into him. So that's what Jairus does. He fights that voice that says, leave him alone. She's dead. Don't bother the teacher. And instead, the hope that can't be, cannot be bought is brought to him in Jesus. 
He instead clings to hope, remembering that God, what he said he can do, and remember this is a man that would have known scripture in and out. He had to remember God said he could, so he would. And God follows through with the promise and rebirth. So Jairus doesn't give up on a miracle. He doesn't stop pounding. He doesn't stop asking. But something does change in him. His ask is now different. What Jairus originally believed he needed, what he was requesting, had changed. He now fully realized he wasn't looking for his last hope. He was now having to fully depend on a savior. What we believe we need or what God needs to do to heal the bitter seed of my life can lead to greater disappointment and more bitterness. Once we've taken, we're taken to a place where only miracles of God can restore a seed, then the miracle can begin to work because it changes our outlook on life. It turns the reins over to a savior and out of our hands. And then our seed, it can begin to flourish with God's destiny. It becomes sweet again. And Jairus believes. Not only does he believe, he's taken Jesus home with him. And when Jesus entered the house of Jairus, he didn't permit many people to follow. Let's go to verse 51 through 54. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Can you imagine that little girl? Jesus kneeling over, taking her hand and saying, My child, get up. Hmm. I know that in bitter moments, after my father passed miscarriages, it was easier to move through the rhythms of the day, to numb out to the God-given destiny within, to stop seeking the living water to refresh me daily. I became okay with the dry ground and the little wilting seed. See, I had to come to a point where I had to reach past the pain, break through the numbness of what I felt I had been dealt, and become that little girl, and hear him say, get up. I had to decide to take his hand and step into what God had called me to be, not numbed, not just walking through the moments of life, but instead, the real deal changed child of God. I had to get up, and I had to learn to walk again, but with his hand in mine. He digs deep into the soil, and he helps take that bitterness. He stitches it back together with sweetness and helps us thrive with it. There is a God-planted seed within all of us. And like that little girl, sometimes it can feel like it's lost its purpose. Maybe it feels to you it's shriveling up and dying. Been there, know that feeling. Just from the bitter moments or the bitter things we've been handed... But we know there's God-designed purpose attached to every seed. Because if we look through our Bibles, we can see the central, central image of the Christian faith is death and rebirth. Over and over, we see that same central message. There is a death, and then there's a rebirth. 
The gardeners in this room know that a seed has to go through a process. Planted down deep in that soil, it has to decompose, disintegrate, and then it returns to the original element from whence it came. It begins to grow roots. It begins to sprout. We had to go through that same rebirthing process. We must die to ourselves and be reborn in him. We have to be planted into the soil that he has built so then he can stir it up and put seed of purpose, bandage up the brokenhearted, pour his life-giving water, his hope on our soil. He wants to fertilize our soil with his vision, with his hope. We had to press into quiet time to get that water, right? It's in the quiet moments of reading his scripture, of gathering together like this, of pressing in and pushing through the crowd and seeking that water. And he waits for those moments. He loves those moments. And he's promised in those moments he will restore us. So my favorite verses to remind me when I'm feeling those moments where I need the healing water of him. In Psalms chapter 5, verse 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and I wait expectantly. I will wait, Father, for you. In Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He will walk beside us. He will give us the compassion we need. Or Psalms 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He is faithful. He is a healer. He is a promise keeper. He is a redeemer. He is with us from the beginning to the end. And his voice is the only voice. The only voice that waters the seed within us for eternal purpose, eternal destiny, and causes what appears to be dead to the world to flourish again. Because he can make all things new. So please, take his hand. Get up and flourish. Just like our little girl does. In verse 55 it says, Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them to not tell anyone what had happened. That little girl took the savior of the hand's world and decided to step out of the pain, out of the circumstances, the bitterness and uncertainty, and into the God-breathed hope and purpose he had for her. He took the bitterness and turned it to sweetness, and that little family celebrated. What I find interesting is then the scripture says that Jesus turns to the parents and says to give the girl something to eat. Now, medically, we might go, okay, her body may need nutrients. I could see the Savior turn around and going, oh, my word, and seeing these two parents wide-eyed and thinking, I need to give them something to do with their hands before I have another situation here. Maybe they just need to be busy. But what I can also see is the great physician writing out a prescription for this family and saying, lean in. I have a wise prescription for you. Take my hand because I am with you. I am the living water, so drink deeply. I'm the bread of life, so eat fully. I'm the great physician, be healed. I'm the light of the world, 
Do not fear. I'm the good shepherd. Shepherd, follow me. I'm the resurrection and the life. Live in me. I'm the vine. Now flourish. Celebration would have happened in that in that house. And I can't imagine that maybe the mourners, who I don't know if they listened and were still mourning or not, could not have heard the celebration amongst those few people in that home. So how strange for God to say, okay, shh, shh, no, 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 don't go outside. Don't pull in the mourners that are out there wailing. Don't go grab the neighbors. Don't head back into the crowd. Because you see, this miracle isn't for them. This miracle was for you. I'm giving your family a new way of seeing life. I'm recharging. I'm renewing. I'm pouring hope back in where it seemed hopeless before. A moment of new birth for a very little family. The God-planted seed that looked to have been swallowed up by the bitterness of life had just been given a rebirth. See, the enemy, he had thought he had struck this family so deeply, so into the hearts of that seed inside that father, mother, and daughter that they'd be limping for a long time. But he forgot to account for the Savior. And the miracle spoke for itself We can't encounter a seed-planting, new life-giving moment with Jesus and not walk away unchanged. Because guess what? We're all living miracles. Those miracles, it was for each one of you. Every one of us is a miracle. The moment he came in and recharged what was dying and gave new birth, we became the walking miracle. And guess what also? Our bruised heels they still crush the serpent's head. So here's what I pray for you today. If you're in that moment that you're sitting there in the numbness of life, like that little girl that seems too hard to get up, to re-engage, to become a part again, pray, get up. Take his hand. He wants to recharge you with hope. He wants to re-engage you in the purpose that he has written just for you. It is your purpose written with him. Because he's going to walk there right beside you. You've got his hand. So lean in. Lean in in the quiet moments of life. Shut out the noise. Lean in and learn a new way of growing. A new way of thriving again in his bitter sweetness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for always being there in every moment of life. We are not alone. You take what seems bitter and hard and seems to have pulled apart our destiny and you weave it back together and pour new living water. Father, give us your vision. Give us renewal so that we can step in and flourish and spread your seed. Father, around us. Thank you, Lord, for blessing your children and making us your walking miracles. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. That was excellent. excellent. Perhaps you are stirred in your core, maybe feeling those things like that bitterness or wanting that fresh water in your life and knowing you've been in a numb place. And, I, and just, just take that message to heart and respond to God. 
He wants to meet you. Respond to him in prayer. Maybe grab somebody that you came with and pray with them before you leave this morning. Or come up here and receive prayer from our prayer team that will be up here on my left as we conclude. Uh, That's a great word to, to take to heart and ruminate on all throughout the week. Don't just walk out these doors today and go, well, that was a nice message. Keep reminding yourself of it throughout the week and and letting God do work in your soul. That was an excellent word, Rebecca. Thank you very much for sharing that with us this morning.